The Old Testament reading for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost is from Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you, who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The day that is coming, burning like an oven. I think we know, as people who have just passed another election day, what it is like to look forward to a day that is coming when we'll have some change that maybe we've hoped for. We'll have the opportunity to make a difference. Maybe so-and-so will be voted out of office. Maybe so-and-so will be voted back into office. Election day, no matter your political persuasion, is a high-stakes day because of this opportunity for change. And I've even heard it talked about, spoken about, in terms of deliverance. Now, I'm not going to get into one political party or another, one candidate or another, Electing an American politician is not the kind of thing that a Christian should be putting an ultimate hope in. Because although good governance is something that we all strive for, we're all called to work for the good of the city to which we have been placed, it says in Jeremiah, or the township in which we've been placed, or the town of Gibbon. We're all supposed to be good citizens as far as it depends on us. But Jesus is not a Republican, and Jesus is not a Democrat. In fact, Jesus said that we would be hated by all for his name's sake, didn't he? You will be handed over to the authorities by your parents, by your siblings, by your friends and your relatives. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The day of our Lord's decisive victory and our deliverance, what we're really hoping for, what we really long for, when everything sad comes untrue and society is perfectly just and righteous and full of love, that is yet to come. Remember in Joshua 5, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? 
And he said, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? I'm playing off election day and the day that is coming at the start here to help us reorient our hope, our longing, our excitement for the day that is coming when the commander of the Lord's armies descends with the sound of a trumpet, the command of the archangel. And that day is coming soon. Very soon, Jesus says. Look around. The natural world is ending around us. The leaves have all fallen. Snow is in the air. Everything is dormant or dying or everything is going to sleep. We have a promise from Jesus that he is coming and coming soon. And the cycle of the seasons remind us that this world will one day pass away. And the church year is ending just like the natural world around us is coming to its end. Coming to its end. It's been a long season of growth since the Feast of Pentecost. The color of the season is green for growth of the church, growth of Christians in faith. And now in these last Sundays before the start of a new church year with the beginning of Advent, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we focus on the day that is coming, the day when Jesus returns in glory. So now we turn to Malachi. You can follow along with the text on the back of your service folder if you'd like. And I'm really going to focus my preaching on the first paragraph here from Malachi 4, verses 1 through 3. You might think that Malachi's prophecy was more exciting for his original audience than it was for us. The day is coming. For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. That's exciting stuff. It was fresh then for them. And it's been thousands of years now for us, and we're still supposed to get worked up about these old words. But actually, for, for Malachi's original audience, this was not fresh. This was not fresh in the slightest, because he lived a century after Israel had returned from exile and rebuilt the temple. People naturally had thought that a return to the promised land from exile and the reconstruction of Zion, the holy city, or right Jerusalem, rebuilding the wall, all those things meant that the promises of Isaiah and the things that Jeremiah prophesied and Ezekiel prophesied, that those were all going to follow quickly. The Messiah was going to come. We're back in the land. We rebuilt the temple. It's time. It's going to happen. But actually, none of that had happened for a hundred years. And Malachi comes on the scene saying, hey, it's still coming. And people are like, oh, my gosh. Um, what's with this guy? This might have been exciting for our grandparents, or our great-grandparents, but it's not exciting for us. The fact that Malachi had prophecy from the Lord at all is evidence of God's grace and love. Because in order for us to know anything about God at all or to interact with him in any way, God has to move first. We can't reach up to God and pull him down out of the heavens. Scripture says we are dead in our sins until God makes us alive. 
We cannot hear from God until God speaks to us. And can you imagine the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that grew like lamb's quarters does in my garden in the 100 years since the return? Maybe for a few years, they thought the Messiah's coming was real close. But year after year, generation after generation, and it became, you know, it starts to become more of a story, more of an old myth than something that people actually really hope in. They wanted God to act decisively, but his love is still shown to them in this, that he speaks to them at all, that he doesn't leave them alone in the silence. And what does God say to them? He speaks of judgment and joy in Jesus. First, judgment. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Things as they are, fallen, broken, unjust, will one day come to an end. And all those who rebel and reject, rebel against and reject God, will be dealt with severely, neither root nor branch, utterly destroyed. But there's also joy here. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. What a picture. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Those who fear God have no need to fear the last day. I'll say that again. Those who fear God have no need to fear the last day. Faith in God now means that the terror of judgment day won't touch us. Instead, God coming down for judgment and for deliverance is going to make us leap and dance. I saw this video once of these calves, maybe in Belgium, maybe in, I don't know, somewhere in Europe, and it had been a long, long winter. And they opened this door and let them out to you know, roam and graze freely for the first time in you know, forever. And boy, I had never seen cows move like that. Now, right, I'm showing how green I am, right, being a pastor out here in this farming community, right, this is old news to all of you, perhaps. <laughs> Leaping like calves from the stall. For some of you, this is an everyday image. For others, this is, wait, what is that even? Leaping like out calves from the stall, what does that mean? Dancing, joy, excitement, happiness, relief. The thrill of our Lord's return. He will bring healing and vindication for us, finally, and God will place all our enemies under our feet. Already destroyed. Now I want to hone in here. There's a fly. I want to hone in here on this thing that Malachi says about the son of righteousness. That's our Lord Jesus himself. And if this 
son of righteousness sounds vaguely familiar to you, but you just can't quite place it. Hmm, where, how do I know that? Let me help you out. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Now, when we hear of our Lord rising and he's got healing in his wings, we instinctively think of maybe the resurrection and his ascension into heaven and all the church in his train risen with him and healed. And that's good. And I think it's right that we should think (laughs) Jesus risen with the resurrection. But I want to draw your attention to a rising of another sort. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he's referring to this incident in Israel's history where these snakes were sent through the camp, and Moses made an image of a serpent and lifted it up on a pole, and all who looked on it in faith were healed, or cured of this judgment. So Jesus is saying, like Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Later in John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says again, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. To be lifted up was kind of a euphemism for crucifixion because you were hoisted up off the earth, nailed to the wood. Jesus knew that when he was lifted up off the earth, the son of righteousness risen, that he would draw all to himself, offering healing and eternal life to all who believe. Now, the wings that caused the son of righteousness to rise that is Jesus' death on the cross, is the source of healing to all who come to him. Jesus' death, you see, secures our life, which means that his birth erases our death, as that Christmas hymn continues. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. I'm not going to sing the rest, just to get that stuck in your head. Now, a few weeks before we sing it here in church. The son of righteousness has risen with healing for us. Malachi's prophecy is fulfilled in part. Because the great day of judgment is still to come. So all here in this room now, all who listen to this on our sermon podcast, all who watch this on TV in the area or who watch it on YouTube later, who would presume upon the Lord's kindness, beware. The day of judgment is coming. Do not delay your repentance. The time for Jesus' return is appointed. It's set 
Just like the time allotted for a standardized test is set. And when the proctor says, all right, time's up, pencil's down, what you've got is what you've got. There's no changing it. In high school, my chemistry and physics teacher used this thing called WebAssign for us for our homework. And the way this worked was that you had to go onto this website and, and do these homework problems on the computer. And there was a certain amount of time you were given. You know, it was due at midnight on the due date or whatever. And occasionally he would call out during class time, Carl, you haven't even opened seven of these. Dylan, you've opened them, but you haven't done any work. As sort of an admonishment, a warning out of care for us, right? He didn't want us to fail. He didn't want to embarrass us, but he knew that a little bit of embarrassment might light a fire underneath us to do something about it before it was too late. Because there was no changing it after the fact. You couldn't go back and ask for him to open it back up. That's not how the arrangement was set. Jesus' return is coming soon. Do not presume on his kindness. Today is the day of forgiveness and salvation and mercy. But when today turns into the last day, don't be caught. Don't be caught by that. You may think that Jesus could easily take another 2,000 years to return, and he might. But Christians, we must always live as if we expect the Lord to return today, tomorrow. If not tomorrow, the day after that. Life is too short. Our souls are too precious. The mission is too urgent to live as if, oh, Jesus, there's no way he's going to come back before I die. So I'm just going to kind of settle into my own sort of thing here and not be concerned with what the church is concerned about. Don't be arrogant, please, and provoke God's wrath against you. And now all who do fear the Lord, all who do think about the last day, all who are concerned about their final endurance to the end, be comforted. Don't be afraid. Be comforted. The work of your redemption for 2,000 years now has been finished. There's nothing to add to it. And there's nothing that you can do to take away from it. There's no sin too great. No, nothing, you, nothing you've done, nothing you have done, nothing you will do is greater than the love and the power and the grace of Jesus for you. It is sure and certain that your redemption has been secured by the blood of the Lamb. Now, sure and certain, those words might fall on you this morning, like Malachi's prophecy fell on his original hearers. Sure and certain, the day of the Lord is coming. Great, we've been here for 100 years. It would have happened by now if it were coming at all, Malachi. Isn't there supposed to be something else? We built the temple, we built Jerusalem, we put the wall back up, but we're still surrounded by our enemies who are more powerful and more numerous than we are, and God's presence has not returned to the temple like it did when Solomon was king, like it did with Moses. So what is going on here? Friends, the struggles and trials of your life may very well make this hard to believe, that your redemption is sure and secure, that God loves you and he cares for you. Loss, grief, trauma, 
shame, bitterness, disappointment, ill health, failure, addiction, abuse, frustration, exhaustion. These things are all real in our lives. So Jesus died for me. That was 2,000 years ago. Isn't there supposed to be something else? But remember how God showed his love through Malachi. He didn't leave his people alone in their fear, uncertainty, and doubt. He spoke to them. He drew near. He comforted them. He revealed himself to them. He gave them his word, the most sure and certain thing in the universe. And he gives you his word this morning, too, in the word that we hear, in the word, the Son of God's own flesh and blood, in the fellowship of this altar. Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Take, drink. This is my blood shed for you. You could expand that out. What does that mean? It means, Jesus says, I chose you from before the foundation of the world. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I ordained all the days of your life and have numbered all the hairs on your head. I, the son of righteousness, rose with healing in my wings for you. For you. I know it was a long time ago, but my body and blood are here now for you. And so we wait for our Lord's return patiently, watchfully, with the endurance and the strength that the Spirit provides. And as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again on that great day. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.